0: Hello everyone, and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn, I'm a teacher, a writer, a blogger, a podcaster, also a mom of two girls. And today on the show, I'm going to be sharing a couple of great nonfiction books with you. Also, a parenting hack that I call The First Five Minutes. And I'm excited about my guest interview. It's with time management writer and mom of four, Laura Vanderkam. And her latest book is called Off The Clock. And I'm excited to uh, to talk to her and get her advice for all of us busy moms, busy women, about managing our time. Today's episode of This Mom Loves is sponsored by One-A-Day Women's Gummies, a multivitamin formulated to help support good health, including your immune function, bone and teeth development, and more. All in a tasty, fruit-flavored gummy. Always read and follow the label. So the first book I want to talk to you about is called "I'll Be There for You," the one about Friends. That's actually the title, and it's written by Kelsey Miller. So I was a Friends fan way back, and I still enjoy enjoy the the repeats on Netflix. Probably not as much as I enjoyed them back in the day, but I definitely uh, definitely know a lot about the show. And in this book, um, the author Kelsey Miller takes the reader chronologically through the whole series. So the creation of the show, the casting. Little tidbits about uh, who was originally um, picked for which character and things like that. And behind-the-scenes highlights and insider information from each season. It's not like a Hollywood tell-all with, you know, gossip and salacious information. It's more just interesting for people who want to learn more about um, how the show was made, kind of an analysis of the show itself, and also why it was so popular and became so iconic, what it had going for it. You it's not all just, you know, um, fluffy and sweet because she does actually talk about some of the issues the show had. For example, the almost complete lack of racial diversity. They it had, had some moments, but, and mistakes that the show made. For example, a big story about uh, a Diet Coke promotion they did that just got way too blown out of proportion and, uh, and didn't exactly have the great effect that they wanted it to have. It made a lot of money, but maybe not the effect they wanted it to have for the cast, but... Um, and she and I agree that the episode called The One Where Everybody Finds Out was the best episode of all time. I've always said that, and the author mentions that in the book too. So it's the one with they don't know, we know they know. And I was also impressed to learn more about the six cast members and how right from the beginning they decided that they were going to almost form their own little mini union and that they were going to negotiate as a team. And I think overall, over the years, especially when you see the power that they had in doing that and that one didn't consider themselves the star and go behind anybody else's back to negotiate, because really, if all six cast members are negotiating together, you can't just write somebody off or, or kill them off the show. You had to bargain with those six. And um, based on the fact that it sounds like they earned about $1.3 million each per episode in season 10, their uh, their tactics were definitely fruitful. And there are all sorts of, like, insider tidbits that uh, that the author gets from different people connected to the show, and uh, even Lainey Louie, our entertainment expert from here in Canada, uh, gives a couple of comments there as well. So I definitely would recommend that book, so I'll be there for you, The One About Friends by Kelsey Miller, for anyone interested in that show. The other book that I want to talk to you about, another nonfiction book this week, is called Educated by Tara Westover. And so the blurb for the book starts like this: Tara Westover was 17 when she first set foot in a classroom. And so that obviously catches your your interest right there. So it's an incredible memoir about her her family. So they were survivalists in the mountains of Idaho partially homeschooled, partially unschooled. Um, she ended up going to college eventually and graduating with a PhD. It's an incredible story, but the whole time in between, it's disturbing. There was abuse in the home. I mean, the girl had no birth certificate. Her mother was unclear about her birthday, even as she got older and she knew how old she was. Her mother never seemed to quite know. Hospitals were forbidden when they were kids. And so they just treat injuries and, and illnesses themselves. It was uh, it was really wild, actually. So another uh, another good read. Like I said, it's a little bit disturbing, but um, but fascinating for sure. So that was Educated by Tara Westover. So now is the part in the show where I let you know where you can find me on social media because I do love to be found. So I am on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves and on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. You can also find me at my website, thismomloves.ca and I have show notes from all of the episodes there if you go to the podcasts page. And if you need anything from this show, it is episode 10. In the lifestyle section this week, I want to talk about a little parenting hack that uh, that I have named the first five minutes. And I figured this one out way back when my children were little. You know how there's that terrible time when no matter what age they are, when you arrive in the door, so after work or after school, you want to get dinner started, or if it's me, I want to check the mail, or I want to change my clothes, and your kids just want you, even if they're with you. So I know when I used to pick the kids up from daycare and bring them back home when, I mean, even when Eva was a year old and Olivia was three, you bring them in, you set the one-year-old down, and she just wants up again. And so I fought against that for so long, like, no, no, just give me a minute. And I'm just going to put this in the oven and just give me a second here. And then I realized, wait a second, maybe it'll work better if I stop fighting it. And I'm sure I did read that advice or get it from somebody else somewhere. So I'm not claiming that I made up this wisdom, but it is something that has definitely worked for me. So, I mean, I know I can't put my feet up when I get in the door, but I certainly want to get things done. But I realized that if, when I come in, I give the kids my first five minutes of complete, undivided attention. And I'm not saying I do this every day because sometimes, honestly, there's a package at the door, I want to see what it is, or an email has just come in and I've got to reply back to somebody, so I am no perfect mother for sure. But on the days that I do, right from when they were little up until now, my kids are 12 and 10, if I can give them those first five minutes, then I get a ton of peace afterwards. Now, I did finally make a deal with my girls that they couldn't be waiting for me out on the landing when I pull into the garage, (laughs) Because sometimes, you know, maybe I'm finishing up a call or I'm just not quite ready when I'm out in the cold garage to uh, to get a barrage of what happened that day and and things like that. And often it's just, you know, exciting stories or news about a test or an assignment or a friend's drama or whatever it happens to be. And they just want to get it all off their chest and they want to tell me. And so from the, the baby and toddler phase right up till now as tweens, I do honestly find that if I can just put my stuff down and sit or and just look at them, give them my attention, and let them get it all off their chest, tell me what they want to tell me, ask me their questions. Because sometimes too, they're waiting to know, can I do this? Or is it okay if I text this person? Or where do you want me to put this? And if they just get their answers, then they can move on, I can move on, and I can get the rest of the things done that I need to do uh, to do in peace. So I would definitely recommend considering that first five minutes rule and just see what happens. Maybe you're all already doing this and good for you. <laughs> I tried to fight it for a long time and still sometimes I do. And then I realize, wait a second, it's going to work a lot better for me this evening if I just let them say what they need to say, ask what they need to ask, give them some hugs, cuddles, whatever the case may be, that eye contact, that attention. Five minutes is all it takes for them to just feel good again. And then I can and move on with what I need to do. to get get the evening underway. So it's almost time for my interview with time management researcher and writer, Laura Vanderkam. And before that, just a quick word from our sponsor, One-A-Day Women's Gummies. I can honestly say that I take one a day every day. And while I still try to get in some fruits and vegetables, this multivitamin gives me some peace of mind. It has ingredients to help maintain immune and muscle function, eyesight, and metabolism support. The chewable gummy format is particularly great if you have difficulty swallowing vitamins and comes in tasty mixed fruit flavors. You can buy one a day women's gummies wherever vitamins are sold. Always use as directed. I am so pleased to introduce my guest today, Laura Vanderkam. She has written several great books that I have enjoyed, including her latest called Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done. And she's also the mother of four. So I think a lot of moms out there are going to appreciate some of the wisdom she has to share. So she's here to help us with our time management. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So when I first shared on Facebook that we were going to be chatting, I had a few comments and one came from Diane who said, I always feel there's too much to do and not enough hours in the day. So I look forward to learning about some tips that might help. So hopefully we can help Diane and and all the other listeners out there who may be struggling with time. Yeah. So my first question, you... You say that you're not the sort of typical self-help writer who hits rock bottom, has a big epiphany, and then starts writing about it. You've just had an ongoing interest in time and time management. Why does it fascinate you so much?
1: Well, I think the fundamentally interesting thing about time is that we all have the same amount of it, right? We all have 24 hours in a day and 168 hours in a week. And so when you find people who are doing all kinds of amazing, awesome things in their lives, and and then, you know, they don't act like they're running like chickens running around with their head cut off. I mean, they're actually pretty relaxed about it. The the key thing is these people don't have any more time than the rest of us. Uh, I mean, maybe they have other things going for them. I I wouldn't discount that, but, but they don't have more time. Uh, And so I think, you know, we can all learn from how successful people allocate their hours um, people who are doing a lot, both professionally and personally. And uh, so I've, kind of built my career studying the schedules of, of people who seem to have awesome lives.
0: That's great. So I want to go back a little bit to your New York Times essay, The Busy Person's Lies. And I love this quote, and I actually looked up one of the words to make sure I was understanding it correctly. But you refer to the pernicious narrative that professional success requires harsh sacrifices at home. So can you explain that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, from time to time, like people love to have these articles like no one can have it all. Right. Like if you know, something goes viral every, you know, two, three years on clockwork of, of somebody s- discovering this concept, you know, for the first time themselves, as if everyone else has not, you know, thought about this before um, or, or just, you know, people talk about like, oh, well, you know, I have to sa- I give up a lot of things. And, you know, it's just this no one can have it all narrative, which. I love, you know, people seem to sometimes believe it's about keeping it real or, you know, being like, oh, well, if you somehow build a career and raise a family, you'll never sleep or, you know, have time for anything else. Fundamentally, it isn't actually true. Um, and, and time diary studies have found this. Um, people overestimate how many hours they work, um, including people with very intense jobs. Um, they tend to underestimate how much time they have available for other things. We tend to underestimate how much we are sleeping, interestingly enough. Um, And, and, you know, partly it's because we have this cultural narrative of everyone being busy, busy, busy. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite examples of of this recently, there was a, you know, CEO Time Diary project that was done for a Harvard Business Review, I believe, um, that they had. You know, CEOs of big companies had had their assistants log their time, um, you know, over a period of a couple of weeks so they could look at the data. And they found that they were averaging about, you know, it was I think it was 62 hours of work per week, you know, and 62 hours is a long work week, but there's 168 hours in a week. So if these people were sleeping Eight hours a night, they'd still have 50 hours for other things. And in fact, their average was probably about, you know, a little more around seven. Hours. So they had, you know, closer to 60 hours uh, for other things, which explains why many of them were, in fact, exercising. You know, people were spending some time with their family, like, you know, not Tuesday at 10 a.m. usually, obviously. If you're <laughs> trading, you know, running a publicly traded company, that tends to be not, you know, family time so often. But they were spending some time doing other things other than work. And this is people, you know, running big companies. So, it, it, you know, I, I think it's this idea that there's no time for anything is, is a construct. Uh, I, I'm not saying you don't have to be creative about finding it. I'm not saying that it might not be a question of energy, uh, not being available at times when the time is available to do stuff. But I think generally most of us can find time for the things that we want to do.
0: Okay. And I mean, I agree. I think both you and I agree that we have our work and we have our families and we sleep and, you know, we're we're able to get things done in the amount of time that we have. So that's interesting. So do you think it's worth, you talk about these time logs, do you think it's worth the effort for the average person to track their time? And if so, how do you suggest someone go about that?
1: Oh, I definitely think it's worth the effort. Um, I'm not saying you have to do it for the rest of your life. I'm I'm one of these crazy people who does enjoy tracking my time. I've actually been tracking my time continuously for about three and a half years now, which nobody else needs to do. I will say <laughs> that right now. Like, I'm not saying that that's the secret. Track your time for three and a half years. Um, you know, one week is, is, is a good amount. And you had the, uh, somebody who posted in your Facebook, I think her name was Diane. You said that there aren't enough hours in the day. But we don't live our lives in days. We live our lives in weeks. And and so, you know, instead of just looking at 24 hours and be like, oh, here's all the things I didn't do in 24 hours, um, stretch the time horizon a bit. So look at how you spend an entire week. Uh, I think most people find this somewhat of a, a heartening experience, actually, because, Again, when things don't happen at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, we have this story in our minds that they don't count, but, but that's ridiculous. I mean, that's not the only time that's available. Um, and, and so over the course of a week, generally we hit the things that matter to us. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we spend exactly the amount of time that we would hope to spend on different categories. But, you know, it tends to. we tend to hit on everything in the course of the week. Lots of tools you can use to do this. You know, I I track my time on spreadsheets, which is just a very straightforward way to do it. Um, Weekly spreadsheets with the days of the week across the top, uh, half hour blocks across the left hand side. Um, But you can use an app. I mean, you can use just a notebook, write down what you're doing, Um, whatever you think you'll actually stick with.
0: Okay. And I like how you talk about time in terms of weeks, because I think that kind of helps get rid of some of the guilt. People feel at the end of the day when that day exercise didn't happen or that day work took more time than family or whatever. But I, I think you're totally right. If you look at the balance over a course of a week, you might be a little bit uh, a little bit more proud of yourself and happier about what you are getting done.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, because... You know, uh, people often look at when they think about what is my work-life balance and, you know, these stories of whether people can have it all or not. I mean, almost inevitably, they're looking at their work-life balance from, say, Monday morning to, like, the end of day Thursday. Um, but, but that's really only half the week. Uh, I track my time on these weekly spreadsheets, which start Monday at 5 a.m. The, the week goes Monday at 5 a.m. to sort of Monday at 4.30 a.m. then on the next one around. But um, if, if the week starts at Monday at 5 p- five a.m., then the halfway point is actually 5 p.m. Thursday. Um, and, and so because of this, like the bulk of people's work week happens in the first half mm-hmm. of the week. Uh, so whatever your balance is in the first half of the week, that is what it is. But probably your balance is completely different in the second half of the week. And, and I think those both deserve to be looked at uh, when we start thinking about time holistically.
0: For sure. I might have to try this time tracking thing. I'd be interested to see. So something that you say in Off the Clock is that people who seem to be happiest with the time that they have spend resources to maximize their happiness. And I also just want to mention, I'm going to go with the same assumption that you do, that people who are reading self-help books about time management or listening to podcasts about it probably have some discretionary income. So that's kind of the, the assumption we're going with here. So what are some suggestions you have for how people could use resources to maximize their happiness with time?
1: Well, the thing is to f- figure out like what is causing you the most pain or mental overhead. Um, because when we have time, so we divide it into different categories. I mean, there's time when we're happy, kind of not thinking about time at all, really, um, which we're really feeling off the clock. Those, those are cool times. Um, there's also times in our lives when we're just counting minutes. Um, so you might think of when you're in a, a traffic jam, sometimes you're counting minutes, maybe it's uh, when you're running an errand in a crowded store, um, maybe it's a situation where you're trying to control a small child at a sibling's sporting event, for instance. These are all these are all situations where you wind up just really feeling like you are counting minutes. Uh, and so the question, once you've looked at how you spend your time, is whether you can use some of your resources to spend fewer minutes uh, in that counting minutes category, because anything you can do to move minutes out of that uh, is going to vastly increase your, your happiness. Um, so sometimes you can't, obviously, I mean, you know, if you have to commute to work at a certain time, that is what it is. And I, long-term, maybe you can move, <laughs> maybe you can you know work from home one day a week. Uh, maybe you could shift your hours, there are lots of options, but uh, you know, maybe those aren't near term things, but you know, one thing we did is uh, you know, we have four kids. And so, a lot of athletic events on the weekend, and certainly when um, the kids are getting older now. But when my youngest was was a toddler, baby or toddler, uh, sometimes what we would do is is hire a sitter on the weekends to stay home with the little kids, so that my husband and I could each take one of the older kids to their sporting event, um, and so then each of us could actually watch the game or you know whatever it was. Uh, without trying to keep a, a toddler from like, you know, leaping into the pool or into the soccer game or you know, racing off into the parking lot. you know, And you don't do that. Like, it, it's a pretty miserable experience to be trying to keep a toddler from like racing into a parking lot when you're hoping to watch the other kid's game. Um, and, and so spending money on that was a, a real way to kind of increase happiness. So, so think about what those things are. Uh, and how you can you know, possibly use resources to, to move minutes out of the counting category.
0: Well, I know for me, when the online grocery shopping came to my local supermarket, I was absolutely thrilled because I'm online all the time. I do it. Even if you do it at peak hours, the cost is $5. So for me to pay an extra $5 for someone else to do my grocery shopping, that was just like a dream come true. So you're right. You've got to look for those things that can just, even a small amount of money might be able to help relieve some some of the time stress that you have. Exactly. So you have another chapter in off the clock called Don't Fill Time. And in that, you say that the most common reaction other people will have to your shedding an obligation is nothing. So it seems like we feel so guilty and so much pressure to maintain a whole bunch of commitments we have and to say yes when we're asked for new ones. So why do you think that's so hard for us and how can we get past that? Um,
1: I think it's, you know, partly everyone walks around With, I mean, ourselves is the (laughs) center of our universe. So when we don't do something, we feel like the world must have noticed. But that's probably not true because everyone else is in their own little worlds, too. So, uh, you know, I at one point I I had a a party. I I remember this happening. I had a party and various people had said they would come and and then didn't. And it, it took me a while afterwards to sort of reconstruct who had said they would come and then wasn't there. Because, of course, there were people there that I was happy to see, and I was enjoying having a good time with them. And, it, you know, I heard some notes from people afterwards, like lengthy notes about how bad they felt that they couldn't make it because of X, Y, or Z. And I'm sort of like, oh, oh, you weren't there, <laughs> which I feel guilty about. But, like, you know, people I like and respect and all that. But, you know, it's just you, you don't notice when people don't do something as much as mm-hmm. you might think, right? And, and so um, I, I would just – if if something is going to be um, you know very difficult unhappy for you, I think I think it's worth assessing how much other people care. And if they do care, then it might be worth sticking with um, you know even if you're unhappy about it, just for the sense of maintaining the relationship. I mean, you can certainly judge these on yeah. a case by case basis. Um, but you know, for a lot of stuff, people just aren't as worked up about it as as you might imagine. You're like, oh well, maybe we won't do this particular thing this year or you know the kids were i was just thinking about this recently we're we're recording this in november and uh over the past few years i've done this thing every christmas where i wrap up christmas stories and the kids unwrap a christmas story each night and we read it and you know last year when i did it um we just got so behind because the kids weren't into it and they had sort of different bedtimes. And so we're trying to get everyone together and then I'm traveling and like, then people <laughs> don't sit and want to listen. I, you know, it's just, it was more trouble than it's worth. And the kids didn't really care about it. So I'm like, you know, I'm just not even going to do it this year. Like we'll read some fun stories at different points if people want to listen to a fun story. Um, but I'm not going to make a whole production of it. And, you know, I think it's a lot of stuff like that. People don't, necessarily care about stuff. as No. And like you say too, sometimes
0: they might be relieved that something is going to stop. Or even like if you've always chaired a committee or something like that, you stepping down, maybe allows the person who actually wants a turn to step in, right? So like you say, it's not always, we're not always the center of everything. So I agree. That's a great point. I love in the book, you also make a distinction between people who are maximizers and people who are satisficers. And I can say definitively that my husband is the former and I am the latter, but what do these two terms mean and how can knowing which one you are help with your time management?
1: Yeah. So this is, these are terms from, um, Barry Schwartz, who is, uh, you know, professor who'd studied how people make choices and wrote a book called the paradox of choice, which is a great book. Um, but he, uh, so maximizers want the absolute best option, right? As they're trying to choose things, they're always looking for the absolute best option. Satisficers have a set of criteria and they go with the first option that clears the bar. Um, and and so those criteria can be high, right? Like it doesn't mean that they have low standards. It's just that they have certain standards. And once, uh, once those standards are met, they're, they're cool with it, right? Like they're not gonna spend a lot of time w- trying to find something even better. Um, and, and so, you know, from... Uh, it, it, While well, it sounds like wanting the best is is a good thing. Um, and, you know, no one's going to build a motivational speaking career by <laughs> announcing, like, I settle. I settle all the time. The honest truth is, is that it wastes so much time to be looking for the best of everything all the time. Because, you know, in many cases, it's not that distinguishable. Like, you're, you know, choosing among five hotels near a conference that you're going to. Like, they're probably pretty much the same, (laughs) you know, it's, it's like one is not amazingly better than the other. And if it is like, so what, you're there for two days and you're supposed to be at the conference most of the time anyway. So like, let's not get worked up about this and spend an incredible amount of time choosing, um, you know, satisficers tend to make choices more easily, and then they feel less regret about them too. And the reason is that maximizer's you know, how do you know if something's the best option? Well, you have yes. to keep looking at other stuff and then you feel bad if you decide yours wasn't the absolute best. Whereas for a satisficer, you know, if you wanted a hotel that's walking distance to the conference and has free breakfast, like whatever the other tel- hotel has, like yours still has that. So you're cool.
0: Yeah. Mine is always, does it have a hot tub? Check. Good. We're done. That's all I need.
1: That's it. Mm-hmm.
0: So... I am a goal junkie, just like you are, and also a fellow upholder based on Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies. And so I think we share some of the same habits and things that we do, but I love how you talk about your habit of Friday planning, and you do that based on three categories. So can you elaborate on that a bit?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the ways that we can keep making progress on our goals, even as life life gets busy, is to really think of life in terms of weeks uh, and to think through our weeks before we're actually in them. I find that Friday afternoon is a good time for this because I'm not doing anything else of consequence by Friday afternoon. Like, I, you know, just sliding into the weekend at that point. It's really hard to start new stuff. Um, Very kind of low energy time. Uh, So if I'm not willing to start anything new, the, the good news is that I am willing to think about what future me should be doing. And so I take a few minutes on Friday afternoon and make myself a three category priority list for the next week, career, relationships, and self. Um, I think that for many people, making a three-category list just provides a useful little nudge to put something in all three categories. It is very hard to make a three-category list and then leave one of the categories blank. Like our brains just don't work like that. So we're, we're you <laughs> yeah. know, putting something in all of them. And so right there, that nudges you to have a more balanced life. Uh, but just a short list, a couple items in each. Uh, look at the next week. See where those can go. And and if you do this, you will keep making progress on your goals. I mean, it's really as simple as that.
0: That's great. Okay. And my very last question actually takes us completely off topic from our conversation, but I always ask my guests, do you have one favorite thing or what I call a This Mom Loves recommendation that you could share with listeners? Anything that you think that they might enjoy?
1: Um, Well, here's something that I'm sure lots of people already have, but I'm just going to give a shout out to um, the Kindle app on uh, putting the Kindle app on your phone. Uh, and, and the reason is a lot of moms feel like, I just don't have time to read. I don't have time to read. It's you know something I used to do, I'd love to do, would love to read, just doesn't happen. Um, and I think one of the reasons is that sometimes it's logistically difficult to carry a book around or to always have a book with you or like pull out a book when you're in a certain situation. It just doesn't feel quite right in many situations. But here's something we are looking at all the time, our phones. <laughs> Amazingly enough, we, we pull them out you know, dozens of times per day. Um, and a lot of that is just a random check. You're looking to see what time it is. You're mildly bored. And, and then you wind up scrolling around and something looking at it for two minutes. But those, those little chunks of time can actually be great for reading. Um, and, and so maybe not a real page turner of a book, because then you'll be sad when you have to do something else five minutes later. <laughs> but you know, if, if there are books you want to get through, put them on the Kindle app the eBooks. And then you always have your phone with you so that you can turn those five minute chunks of time into reading time. So, you know, waiting in a line at the post office or, you know, you're in your car at pickup and waiting for your kids to come out. You turn that into reading time and like they add up, like you can, you can probably get an extra 20 to 30 minutes a day, easy doing that. And if you're reading 30 minutes a day, you're going to start making serious progress on, on books.
0: That is a great suggestion. I love my Kindle app as well. And I think part of what I like is that I have all of my my books in my library. So if I'm in a nonfiction mood or a fiction mood, or if I finish a book and I'm ready to start something new because I have a little bit more time, the next book's right there ready to go. So it is definitely very handy. Great idea. So I will have links to Laura's books, her website and her social media handles in the show notes for this episode at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts. And this is episode 10. And again, you're going to want to read Laura Vanderkam's latest book off the clock feel less busy while getting more done. Thank you so much
1: for being here, Laura. Thank you for having me.
0: And that's it for episode 10 of This Mom Loves. I'd like to thank my editor, Lucas Wyszycki, and of course, thank all of you for listening. You can find information about this episode at thismomloves.ca slash podcasts and click on episode 10. And I actually have a quick favor to ask you, if you are listening in Apple Podcasts, if you could click a rating, so they just give you five stars to choose from, click a rating for um, for the podcast This Mom Loves, it would be very helpful. If you have a few extra seconds to leave a review, it can be short and sweet. Hopefully sweet, who knows, but (laughs) I'm hoping maybe sweet. Um, But even just the rating is really helpful because um, it really does help determine who finds the podcast and who wants to listen to it based on the ratings and the reviews. So it would be very much appreciated if you could do that. And of course, on the show notes for the podcast, I will have links to the two books that I spoke about, as well as Laura Vanderkam's excellent book, Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, and her website and social media accounts too. So again, thank you so much for being here. Have a great week.